Welcome to The Reforming Lounge, a podcast on spiritual formation for the wandering heart. Every Wednesday, we gather to discuss questions centered around mental health and discipleship in the context of the local church. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to The Reforming Lounge. I hope you guys are doing well and enjoying your week. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm one of the hosts here, and I'm joined by Fowler, the other host of The Reforming Lounge is i what's up dude what's up man how's your morning going i mean i've seen you have a lot of coffee but other than that how's your morning your saturday morning going yeah i've had uh too much coffee already unfortunately <laughs> it's fine though it's good you're gonna it's need good. it yeah well maybe not it might be too much <laughs> we'll see i was planning on specifically limiting my coffee intake but you know there's stage where it's just like it's just going down smooth you know just something <laughs> about it tastes really good and uh, it's, that's that's how it's been. It's just a good pot today. So hey, man, that's cool. Here we are. I've been up since I was talking to you about it earlier. I was I've been up since five thirty today, and so I've had my fair share of coffee. See, I woke up like an hour before we started, and I was like, "Man, I'm putting in a lot of extra effort with this." <laughs> and then, and I get on there. You're like, "Yeah, I've been doing all this work. Been up since five thirty. So okay, yeah, man." Yeah, I mean, no. yeah, got up at 5.30, took my son to school, so he's getting ready for his band competition, his area marching competition, which happens, I don't know, a little over two and a half hours. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're going to go, we're going to go see him in good old Westlico, um, super small town, but yeah. I would think so. It sounds like a gas station. It kind of does, doesn't it? It does. It 100% does. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's definitely bigger than a West Texas town. Uh, but it would still be considered a small town. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. <laughs> so. I mean, it's not like many of the cities down here are big. So that's true. Yeah. Did Did you know there's a city called Cut and Shoot in no. Texas? No. It's It's literally cut the letter N apostrophe shoot. Google it. Cut and Shoot Texas. I didn't know that. Cut and Shoot Texas. A trainer said something about it one time. I said this telemental health. Uh, counseling training and he used it as an example and i was like what is this guy talking about sure enough it's a very small texas town. i forget where it is exactly oh my God. okay you know yeah, i learned exists. i learned that there is a town in texas with my last name a called de leon texas yeah you should and go steal the uh it's like you know sign the signs yeah it's it it's like 20 minutes southwest of fort worth Maybe oh, really? not 20 minutes. I mean, it, it was a little bit longer, but yeah, it's Southwest of Fort Worth. Is it one word or two words? It's two words. City. And two so words. there's some yeah. kind of museum there. It's super small, but I was, I told Rebecca, I was like, let's go. And then I saw some pictures. I was like, let's not. Um, <laughs> it looks very nice on Google. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, some dude, nice parts to it. That's no, uh, that's not, no, that's way farther. That's like, it's so you know, Granberry. Yeah. And then you go past Granberry, Stephenville, and then you go past that into the middle of nowhere. And that's daily on. There it is. So if I check it out from my house, it's two hours away. I don't know why I thought it was 20 minutes. Maybe I was thinking about something else, but yeah, I, I found it. I don't know how I found it, but I did. And um, yeah. yeah, so there's De Leon, Texas. You should go and act like you own it. I should. I'm, yeah. I'm, I am. I'm the governor of this town. Yeah. Actually, not even the mayor. This town has been passed down through my generations. You know so who I am. Free food. 
I'm yeah. kind of a big deal and showing my ID. <laughs> yeah. I'm the De Leon. I'm the De Leon. Not the After guy in that your statue. city's namesake. Yeah. <laughs> that is my great, 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 great grandpappy. Grandpappy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> it would fit the kind of be like probably. my family hid Pancho Villa here. Like, how dare you open a museum? Let um, him have it. Then, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. <laughs> um, anyway, so to today we got a couple of we got a couple of different things. So number one, feel like it would be responsible of us to update our listeners. Number one, this is our twelfth episode, and yeah. this is also the episode that will be concluding our season one. And so, um, yeah, so really excited about that. Not because we're not going to record anymore, but because we get a little break and then we're going to come back with some new stuff, which I'm really excited for. Um, yeah. So this will be our last uh, season episode, and then we'll ge- keep you guys updated on season two. So that's number one. Number two. Well, we are- oh, real quick, though, yeah. we'll have a bonus mailbag episode, though. After yes, this one. that's right? true. Yes, we will have a bonus yeah. episode. Yeah. So send and- us more questions. Keep sending us it already. Yeah. Yeah. And so and to the person who gave us a one-star review, like they're jelly. Getting they're called just... out. <laughs> this is jelly because they don't have their own podcast with their own friends. I'm just kidding. But it's probably it's true. Probably any... It's probably an Enneagram 6, you know, because they're all about or... anxiety or something. Dude, I have no idea. I did come after Taco Bell at one point too, though. So... I did say the enemy and Abilene. So, <laughs> we made a lot of enemies. It's true. In a short few weeks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we're going to have a mailbag episode uh, as a bonus episode after this. Um, and then we're going to close. So in light of this being uh, episode 12, we're closing it out with a book review, which is something that we want to do more in future episodes. So as we, begin to plan for season two um our wonderful listeners will get to hear more book reviews and interviews we're gonna have people on the show and so that's gonna be really cool and interesting yeah um, i'm really excited for that yeah dude and so but yeah so to get a sneak peek at, at at some of the things that we're gonna do today we're gonna be reviewing a book titled love and respect uh by dr emerson and i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher his last name i just i just am Egriches. Egeriches. And it sounds um, like something. It close. sounds right for a Mexican. And so, um, hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. So we're going to review Love and Respect. Now, this book is incredibly popular uh, in churches and certainly Christian culture. Um, it's a fantastic seller. Uh, I mean, you see it. In, I mean, you see it everywhere. You see it recommended in counseling, uh, like Christian counseling. Uh, uh, I want to say centers, but like um, counseling organizations, uh, nonprofits, they're constantly recommending this. Several of the people that you've met have read this. You have read it and you have some thoughts on it. But apart from all of that, even people in my congregation have um, uh, at one time or another spoken about um, the the kind of impact that this book had um, on some level of thinking um, concerning relationships, but in particular marriage. And so, um, yeah, as we move forward, we're going to periodically review books and all that stuff. And so we're going to open up with love and respect. And so with that being said, in, in, in like, uh, it's really popular 
seems to have helped a lot of people, seems to have impacted a lot of people, make them think one way or another. And you've read this and have gone over it uh, a good deal, way more than I have. And and you have, in, in an overview, you have some personal thoughts. I do. Concerning love and respect and its validity in the context of, opinions. I guess, marriage, I, I suppose. Yeah. So how about this? How about you start us on this general overview of, of love and respect? Give us some of your opinions, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about perhaps self-help books, and then specifically some concerns with love and respect. Maybe I might follow that order. Yeah, but we'll maybe see. not. Well, yeah, we'll see. So, well, let me reiterate what you said, though, because I'm I'm sure that this book has helped some people, mm. and if if that's the case, that's great. So, if you're listening and it's helped you, I'm glad about that. I feel like the roles have switched where you were way more generous with the Enneagram. And I, I was like, this sucks, but I hope if it's helped you, that's fine. And now here we are with love and respect. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's helped some people. And you're like, I got some stuff to say. So the, the, my, 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 how the turntables. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, I believe that God can use evil things to do good things. Right? <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> and so, and so and there's, I mean, he quotes Gottman, sort of. Kind For of. those who don't know um, who Gottman is, how would you introduce yeah. Gottman? Well, so, at, and being very brief, he's a, he's a yeah. marital researcher. Okay. That is, um, I mean, he's, everybody in the field knows who he is because of his work. It's tremendous. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's cited throughout the book um, in a, a few different ways, but we'll come back to that. Okay. But just want to leave my point that, if this has been good for you, I legitimately am glad that it's that it's been helpful. I, I don't think that we can't, you know, take things from th- things without them being like actually uh, solid in all respects. Um, so these are critiques that we have about kind of the theological aspect, but also, uh, man, in a big way, the the psychological side of it. Mm. Um, but if it's been good, I'm so glad. So. Just wanted to start with that. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, kind of as an overview of some of the things we're going to be talking about, we try to condense it into some pretty clear categories. So the biggest concern is he straight up misuses scripture and takes it out of context to make points that scripture itself is not making. Mm So I'm going to move through the overview. It yeah. almost yeah. Just out. move you, through the overview. Yeah, you might have to circle <laughs> me back, dude. Okay, so that's that's the biggest thing. If you're a Christian, you have respect for the Bible. Then that that's the biggest thing, right? Mm-hmm. He uh, does that with research as well. So he he cites, like I said, he cites Scottman's work, um, but there's plenty of points where he he uses it sort of just to kind of prove his own points. Mm-hmm. There's also a really big fall off. Um, between where he's setting up the approach that he's suggesting and the actual approach, the actual approach has no citations of actual scientific research throughout, like all it's like, uh, like 12 chapters where he's making specific recommendations. That's completely void of scientific research in that. That's all just all opinion, but we'll come back to that. Um, But that in and of itself is not necessarily unique that's one of my issues with just some of these self-help books in, in general is yeah. they take research, they try to apply it, 
And a lot of times it can be misapplied or misunderstood, mm-hmm. or they don't fully understand the context of, of what the research is really, really saying. Um, give you an example. There was an article that came out a few years ago saying that wearing socks during sex improves the chances of orgasm for women. What? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that's the headline. Okay. Okay. And so what the, what the study actually was is that when women were wearing socks during sex, they were more comfortable because they, their feet weren't cold. And so it's not about wearing socks. Socks don't improve your sex life. It's not being cold. Right. Right. <laughs> but, but this article kind of completely takes it out of like what it's actually showing right. is that you, you need to be comfortable and puts it into, Oh, if you wear socks, this will increase your sex life. Right. That great. So, right. So, so that's all over. That's not unique to this book by any means. Gotcha. Um, kind of the, the, the final thing that I really got throughout the entire book is that he places the bulk of responsibility on women to do things differently. Mm. Maybe he's women tend to be the ones that are buying the, the marriage help books mm-hmm. because they tend to be the ones that, and this is, these are big generalizations, but they tend to be the ones that are looking for resources to try to improve the relationship. Right. right? So if we're being charitable, maybe he's just trying to write to his, you know, dominant audience and right. thinking women are probably mostly going to be reading this. So I'm mostly going to speak to them, but I don't really see that in scripture either. There seems mm-hmm. to be a much larger command in Ephesians five, where he's taking his whole thing from on the man to lay his life down the way that Christ did for the church. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll, as we get into the scripture, um, we'll make that much more clear, but those are kind of the three main points. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. So let's take it back just a couple of steps on um, the use of self-help books, self-help books, uh, for lack of a better way of saying it, saying it help a tremendous amount of people. Um, they can be good resources. They can challenge people, but at the same time, specifically for the Christian, sometimes self-help books can generate concerns, um, that I think many Christians try not, let me back up. Many Christians lack discernment in, And so before we get into some of those specific categories of love and respect, specifically scripture misuse and the psychological concerns that you have, let's talk a little bit about some general concerns uh, around self-help books. And let's, let's start with this. Let's be charitable in the sense of what do you think are some good takeaways and uses by Christians from self-help books? This is, I feel like this is going to be sort of existential, but this is exactly where it takes me is I really think that we can be impacted by really small things randomly. Yeah. All right. And so there's going to be plenty of times where maybe someone's reading a book and they read some sort of inspirational thing and it really does click and resonate with them on some deep personal level that creates lasting change. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that can be one of the beneficial things that that can happen. Yeah, is you know, or maybe just learning some sort of piece of information. Um, some of the books that I've written down at the end of our notes that we'll recommend at the uh, as we wrap up have some just kind of general information 
or research on how people tend to operate. Mm -hmm. And I think knowing those things can be really helpful for people. Yeah. I agree. Um, so, so it's not that none of that can happen, mm -hmm. uh, but this is where I look big picture. Like there's so many books mm -hmm. and there's, there's so many good books mm -hmm. out there. And so when I'm looking at, is this worth reading? It's like, if it was the only book around, <laughs> then sure i can get some some good information from that you know what right. i mean yeah but is it is it worth recommending to enough people because i think that the that it's quality um and that all those things hold up regardless of who i'm recommending it to mm -hmm. it, you know that's where i go to when i'm thinking about is this a worthwhile book yeah um, yeah absolutely yeah again i, I think self-help books can contain a number of information that is going to be impactful and helpful for individuals i think they're going to contain some truth right like i would say all truth is god's truth and so you're going to get impacted by some of the material that is presented in self-help books it, it, for me i think about um within those resources, I tend to think about statistics. Statistics help me think through larger picture type things. And so, man, I find them to be, uh, I find them to be somewhat helpful. Um, that is self-help books. And at the same time, so that's the charitable piece. And at the same time, there are these concerns with self-help books primarily or specifically in the context of, of, of the church where I think what I see with many self-help books is that Christians lack discernment as they approach some of this um, content and particularly self-help books were written by proclaimed Christians and having church members not exercise discernment as they approach them. I think that's when it gets a little dangerous. That's when it gets a little concerning and questionable yes. because as we're going to as we're going to note in a little bit, sometimes scripture is just taken out of context. Yes. And it may not necessarily be something, oh, I don't want to say, like, it may not necessarily be something heretical. It's just not what's happening in the context. And so me as a church member, I'm going to take it and apply it in a way that it actually wasn't meant to be applied. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so, uh, but I think the, the issue with that isn't so much the self-help book. It's my lack of discernment in approaching books. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. Yeah. And it, I get why people do it too, because I think that books like that, um, self-help books in general, uh, and even just the Christian living books, they can feel a little bit more approachable mm -hmm. than scripture, especially yeah. if there's lack of discipleship and, you know, added on top of this Christian culture where you're supposed to know what the Bible says and means, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there's not really space for, I don't get this, or yeah. I don't believe this. Help yep. me understand this. Help me wrap my head around this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, Hey, I can read this, you know, other book instead. And it's just more palatable. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, it makes sense why, why yeah. people would kind of slip into that. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, um, especially in, in like with the, the, the content and approach of self-help books, it almost like someone else has done the research for my sanctification. So just tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and so again, yeah. I, I think that points back to my lack of discernment. I think that points back to my lack of um, knowledge of what God says in His Word, um, and instead, I'm I'm kind of just being a consumer. Now, clearly, we're not saying that Christians shouldn't read books outside of the Bible. There are tons of books that they should be reading uh, that we're even going to recommend. That's not what we're saying. However, when we lack knowledge of what scripture teaches when we lack discernment because we're not in God's word. Um, 
it's just going to make it difficult for us to distinguish good from evil, um, you know, um, clever use and misuse of scripture. It's going to make it difficult for us to make a distinction between right and wrong. Right. And so um, when I approach a self-help book with that kind of mentality, I'm kind of really just glad someone else has done the work for me. And so even though it may be challenging for me, someone else has done kind of the work. So just tell me what to do so I can do it. Right. Right. Yeah. And when you're in a really difficult, like if we're focusing on marriage books, if you're in yeah. a really difficult place with your relationship, dude, that's hard. You know, mm-hmm. when, like, when people are really struggling in their marriage yeah. and maybe they're not getting great things from their community, um, or maybe they're getting good things that are hard to sit with. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then it makes sense that they would look to try to find solutions, mm-hmm. which is actually one of the things that bothers me about self-help books in general is it's predominantly distressed couples like that would be categorized as like clinically distressed Mm. couples that are seeking these things out. Mm -hmm. And so that impacts how you're able to discern it also, because if you're coming from this place of hurt or resentment um, or just long seasons of disconnectedness in your marriage, then it's, I think it's kind of easier uh, to want to find something that these self-help books can offer in an explicit way. Um, But really, I think it just fans the flames of the problem because it just adds to the list of, okay, all we need to do is I'm going to follow my list. You're going to follow your list and then we'll feel better about our relationship, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so if you're in a relatively good relationship already and you take pieces of this of oh man i hadn't really thought about it in this way maybe i can you know love my wife differently in this way mm-hmm. that's great but if you're you know in a really unstable uh relationship maybe on the brink of the relationship falling apart all this really does is add to the list of mm-hmm. things that you're upset with your partner about mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to think about what you've said, like the, the majority of, of couples who in this in the context of marriage and relationships, the majority of couples who approach books like this tend to be already experiencing some sort of distress. And I tend to think about how spiritually exhausting that can be. Mm-hmm. You generate this list, you generate content from a book, and it's Hey, if you do this and I do this, we'll be good. And so you see couples work through those things and then things don't get better. And it impacts how we view God, how we view scripture, how we view one another, right? Particularly Christian couples. And, um, and so it, it, it impacts how we live because I'm doing all of the things, or at least I'm trying to do all of the things and nothing seems to be working. I don't know that God is in it with us, or I don't know that this is what God would want for us. And so you find so many different couples who are spiritually exhausted, spiritually depressed and depleted uh, because they are trying to stick to the list um, of trying to make things work. And, and really they're coming out on the other side, just completely exhausted and, and depleted. Yes. Yes, dude. We need to sit in that for a second. Let me repeat what you I want to sit. Okay. (laughs) Because like that is exactly how I see it play out Mm. is we're doing these things and we're still not getting better. Mm. We must just not be right for each other. Yeah. Dude, that is such a painful place for people to be. Yeah. Right. And I think it's even worse. I mean, 
like th- this aspect that you're talking about about spiritual exhaustion because it's like if you're a christian and you're reading this book and you're doing these things and it's still not getting any better maybe it's not even just your marriage what does that say about your faith yeah yeah it can leave you in a place where you're maybe you're not even just feeling like you're a bad spouse or your marriage is broken but you feel like you're a bad christian yeah which is anti-gospel exactly Man, it makes you yeah. feel like you're not a Christian or, or man, what, yeah, like you said, what does it say about my faith? It, it puts you in a place where it's not even that you're doubting things. It's that you begin to think like, was God ever present to begin with? Or, yeah. and so, man, it, it now, now you're looking in on top of spiritual exhaustion and depletion. Now you're, you're thinking about guilt and, and shame, whether it's been on decisions that you've made, um, whether it's been the posture that you've been carrying and, and man, that, that is such, yeah, I, I think you said it really well. That's a, such a painful place for people to be in because what they need the most in that moment is, is going to be the gospel. Like that's the, that's the only thing that's going to help sustain them. Now I think, and this might be a conversation for later, but I think people might hear that and say, okay, well then how does the gospel impact my marriage? When the truth is, I think sometimes too many people are approaching the gospel like they would approach a self-help book. Like Ooh. if God is for me, then tell me what, what is it that I need to do? I'm like, well, actually it's, it's going to begin with you and the condition of your heart. Um, yeah. And so that's a little bit of a different approach than a self-help book. But I think a lot of times in my experience, I've seen couples approach the gospel as if the gospel is a self-help message. And it, and it's a reminder that this isn't a self-help message this is a rescue and so um yeah man i think i think those are those are those are a lot of things in in ministry that i that i've seen with books like this with books similar to love and respect where Mm -hmm. yeah you're generating a lot of movement a lot of work and and here's what's been so in, in in some some scenarios that i've that i've been in where there's a lot of work trying to be done. There's a lot of, Hey, we'll do whatever we'll read, whatever, and nothing is happening. And they're spiritually exhausted. And, um, they're kind of coming to a place where they're getting just spiritually depleted. And even though they've been reading self-help books, one of the things Mm -hmm. that I've heard people say, like, I just don't know if the gospel is working again. And that tells me that they've approached the gospel like a self-help book. And so it's like, man, what do I get out of this? And, and as a result of this, this is what my spouse needs to do. Yeah, that's so good, dude. Dang. <laughs> All right. Well, there's there's two other points that uh, I want to make on, on general self-help books. Yeah, you um, go for it. And then we'll, we'll and, dive and into then, the specifics of this book. Yeah, we should probably get going because we got some stuff to talk about. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but so one of the things that you're talking about, and this is a, a general problem, is that there tend to be two like dominant um, ineffective strategies for like closeness in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so some people create closeness by pursuing their partner in unhelpful ways, not pursuing from a biblical sense of, you know, being intentional about the relationship um, and things like that. But like some ways of pursuing could be considered like being critical, like openly critical and kind of attacking your partner Mm -hmm. to get some sort of response. Right. Um, the other side of that is people that tend to try to create distance just to create calm in the relationship, because when conflict is out there and explicit, that's when things seem bad. And so Mm -hmm. they're like, well, we're not fighting. We're fine. Right. And what these books do in general is they sort of normalize 
the pursuing behaviors and make it sound like the people that are shutting down are the ones with the problem. When really both of those strategies are ineffective in different ways in the context of this relationship, but it just adds to the fire of if they just did this, we would be better. I'm reading all these books. I'm the one that's using I statements. I'm the one that's trying to set up date nights and they're not doing these things. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. It just adds to the list of all the things that you're not doing. And that's hard for people to wrap their heads around. And it it makes sense, right? Because it's like, well, if it seems like one person is being intentional, but the hard thing that it is to see is the other person is being intentional. Also, they just have a very different way of going about it, Mm -hmm. but the goal is the same, right? But books like this are saying, if you do all these things, then you're going to correct your marriage. Right. And it makes it sound like half of these people are the ones that are right. Right. The other thing, and this is something that I've seen in, in other books that, that bothers me, um, is all of the, like, the descriptions of what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman are not biblically based. They're culturally based. Mm. And so he's writing as like a white American male, what it is to be a man. Right. That's Mm -hmm. really clear the way that he talks about it. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of things like that that I don't line up with, you know, Mm -hmm. that don't fit my culture, my subculture. Right. They wouldn't fit your culture as a Hispanic man, well, Mexican man, uh, in like, (laughs) because you're not Hispanic. Try to be sensitive. Hispanic. I mean, Mexican. I mean, crap. (laughs) Is there a less offensive term than Mexican? Uh, but you know what I mean? Like Southern descent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that's my, that's my point, right? Is that he's basically saying these things of like, this is what it is to be a man. This is what it is to be masculine. And that's just coming out of his culture, not the Bible. Right. And those things are unhelpful. That is, man, I remember one time sitting with uh, this young dude who wanted to start men's ministry here in McAllen. And, uh, and he, ha- he has this passion to see men become men. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were uh, having lunch at my house and I asked, man, how would you, how would you define manhood? And he went on to give me this list about hunting, fishing, knowing how to do stuff on your vehicle. Um, what else? I forgot what, like, but anyway, all, all of these different kinds of activities. And at the end, he was kind of sure of himself, you know, Hey, so therefore this is what, this is what a man does at the very least. And I remember thinking, man, I don't know that I could join you on any of that. And he was mm-hmm. kind of stunned by that. And, and he asked why. And I said, because I don't fit any of the things that you shared. And you can see him scramble a little bit and say, well, you know, you lift weights though. So that's, that's manly. And I was like, yeah, but that wasn't on your list. Now you're trying to accommodate. And so <laughs> there were these things on his, on his list that just very practically, I was like, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't fit your definition of, of manhood. Yeah. And, and all of those things are good. I think all of those things, many, many, many men need to learn how to do. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't fit that at all. And, uh, yeah. and so, so now we need to refine your definition for what manhood is because you've just like removed so many people. And then th- at this point, it was like, you've removed like 75% of our congregation. This is, this is not what they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds like another one. We won't get into that, but yeah, that yeah, that'll like be another, another really popular one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's get into to, to love and respect. We've talked a great deal about self-help books. So the two mm-hmm. things at the very minimum that we wanted to address with love and respect is um, the misuse of scripture as it's in some areas, it's been taken out of context. And then you wanted to focus on some uh, psychological concerns based on uh, some of this, uh, based on some of the research provided or lack thereof. And so, um, so we can, we can dive into that. And so let's, let's start with, um, let's start with the, the misuse of scripture. And so I mean, you've read through this book a couple of times. So man, what stood out to you? What, you know, yeah. As we approached, as we approached the misuse of scripture, you're like, whoa, that's actually not what that verse is talking about. Yeah. I want to clarify. I have not been able to read through this book more than once i barely made it the first time so but i did review it extensively right um in preparation for this uh but yeah i write a blog on this also dude i wrote like a paper on this shelby made me cut it like down to like a third she was like this is way too long for a blog post it's like the truth needs to be out there they need to know (laughs) (laughs) oh That's yes, awesome. I did. Goodenoughtogether.com. Check it out. Yep. <laughs> Very infrequently updated blog. So, right. Yeah. So this is actually the first one I saw um, initially that gave like, and I, I wasn't usually when I'm, let me back up. When I'm reading through a book and there's these little like side portions that seem to just be like the same point kind of reiterated. I don't mm-hmm. really make space for that because right. um, it just seems pointless right. uh, but there's these little sections throughout the whole book where there's just kind of these small like um, little quotes or um, things like that kind of throughout it kind of adding to the points that he's making throughout the, the mm-hmm. rest of the book and so one of those is um, it's it's like a full sentence where he drops in scripture throughout the sentence that he's He's formulating himself. So his sentence is, if you are angry with your wife, even for, quotation, a brief moment, end quotation, she is, quotation, grieved in spirit, end quotation, and, quotation, rejected, end quotation, and needs reassurance that you love her. Isaiah 54, 5 through 8. It's good good text. That's what it says. And so when I read that, I'm thinking that I think it's framed in a way that says Isaiah 54 is talking about marriage Mm -hmm. and it's talking about how, if you do this to your wife, then you're going to damage her. Right. Yeah. What is Isaiah 54 talking about, Marco? Well, let me, let me read. What is it? Is Isaiah 54? It was five through eight. Let me read that. So Isaiah 54, five through eight for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy one of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth. He is called for the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth. When she is cast off, says your God for a brief moment, I deserted you, but with great compassion, I will gather you in overflowing anger for a moment. I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your redeemer. Yeah. So Isaiah 54, uh, deals with, um, sorry, my wife is texting me. Isaiah 54 deals with, uh, God's discipline towards Israel in the midst of exile. 
and how he will essentially gather them as a result of his compassion. So it's a, it's a verse on discipline mm, as okay. a result. Not, yeah. Okay. It's a result of discipline in light of Israel's sin. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why he, and so, that's why he writes for a brief moment. I deserted you in overflowing anger for a moment. I hid my face from you. So Israel was doing what they wanted to do. Israel was rebelling against God. And so God in his, in his compassion disciplines Israel and in his compassion has grace on Israel. So God rejects Israel mm-hmm. in this text. Yeah. And he's angry with Israel. Yeah. Interesting. And so, so not only is he taking pieces from the scripture, putting it into his own sentence, but he's completely changing the meaning and he's taking what God is doing and saying that if you were to do this to your wife, then she would uh, need reassurance that you love her mm-hmm. and feel grieved in spirit. So he's saying, if you reject your wife the way that God rejects your wife, and to be clear, I'm not suggesting you should always reject your wife, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying there's, there's going to be moments of rejection in a relationship. That's a natural thing, right? Mm-hmm. But he's making it sound like if you do this at all, then your wife is just going to kind of fall to pieces. Right? Yeah. And he's using a text where God is rejecting Israel because of his anger yeah. to make this point. Yep. Dude, that is like, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, how does that land on you as a pastor? Just because of the stuff that I've read in the scripture about the higher standards for pastors, yeah. that scares the mess out of me that somebody would say that. Yeah. It's like he read that and he was like, what can I take from this to fit my own needs? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah. Like, I'm, I mean, it, it bothers me on the level of he's, he's writing this and publishing this for Christians. Yeah. Right. So not only is he misleading the flock, but dude, it concerns me for him. Mm-hmm. Like that, that he could be that bold and reckless yeah. with scripture that he says is authoritative. Yeah. Yeah. That's and crazy. so, man, that, no, it is. It's, it's, it's ridiculous because when you like, here's the issue when it comes, here's the issue with eisegesis. When you mm-hmm. isolate one scripture and uh, you isolate one scripture and you lead it to say something you want it to say that it doesn't. And so, and so that's the problem with isolating passages and isolating verses. It's that you, essentially take the context out of the whole thing, out of the verse, out of the chapter, out of the book. And so at that point, what we're doing is we're manipulating scripture to fit our need. We're manipulating scripture in a way to, uh, we're manipulating scripture in a way to communicate something that you should be doing, you shouldn't be doing, that you should be thinking about, that you shouldn't be thinking about when that's not what's actually happening. And yeah. so it actually, the, the crazy thing is as people think they're drawing closer to God, they're actually not. Yeah. You know? And so again, it, 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 it presents a problem, not just from authors that, uh, like, uh, like the, the one from love and respect, Dr. Emerson, but it presents a problem for Christians in their lack of discernment. And so it only furthers the truth of not only the need for discipleship, but this isn't the time for less Bible. This is the time for more Bible. Mm, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's good. Oh, do we have anything else on Isaiah 54? Or do you I mean, we can, keep, we can keep going. Yeah, you, yeah, we can move on to the next one. I'm just, I'm responding okay. to Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, bro. If you reject her for a brief moment, she'll be grieved in spirit. And yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not rejecting my wife. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 
glad this book has helped you. Sorry. Okay. So we wanted to lay out a few of these because I think it could be easy. And I mean, I wouldn't look at something and say, well, he only recklessly used a scripture once. So that's not that big of a deal. I think it's a big deal if you do it at all. But mm-hmm. we wanted to point out that he does it multiple times. So that's one of the first ones. Second one, uh, same context. It's yeah. just kind of out to the side in the middle of a chapter. He says, a closed husband seems to his wife to be so ill-tempered. And then he goes in quotations that no one can even talk to him in mm-hmm. quotation. And then he cites first Samuel 25, 17. So yeah. I just read through the old Testament. I don't really remember a whole lot about uh, first Samuel, including a lot of specific marriage advice. Necessarily. <laughs> um, so this is, first it, Samuel, it sounds yeah. like it has something to say for us. So, so what is first Samuel 25 talking about? So he's quoting, yeah. First Samuel 25, 17, verse 17 reads now, therefore note now, therefore know this and consider what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. So the problem with um, <clears throat> his uh, sourcing of, First Samuel 25 is that what's happening is that David, uh, King David, and I already forgot who, and uh, is it is it uh, Nabal? King David and Nabal are both standing very, very firm in their pride and arrogance. Um, and it is actually uh, Nabal's wife, Abigail, uh, who comes out and diffuses the whole situation because... These two individuals are angry that they're not getting their way and they got beef with one another. And the one that diffuses it is Abigail. Yeah. So that, that seems like that doesn't make sense at all to include that there. I don't, yeah, I don't know. What to, I don't know. Why, I don't know why he quoted or sourced first Samuel 25. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a um, few. David's men are hungry. He's like the ball. Mm-hmm hook us up with some food and he's like nah dog and david's like i'm gonna kill every single person in your household so basically david is acting like a brat and the ball's like well then we're gonna go at it like so he digs his heels even further and abigail is the one that comes out and says don't do this here's some food you guys are idiots man that's some that's a that's a good wife right there dad gummit Bringing out the food, just diffusing the tension. That's gum. it. That was it. So, oh my gosh. And I feel like it's worth noting here for this one um, that it's it's not even like these things are necessarily completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, being closed off to your wife is is not a good thing to do. Right. right. Exactly. But you, you can say that, and I think there's <laughs> scriptures that you could use that would be appropriate. Um, but it's the fact that he's taking these things completely out of context to use his own point. Um, and I say partially true because, oh man, backing up to Isaiah 54 just super briefly, he's saying if you're angry for even a brief moment, there's multiple places in scripture where it talks about being angry and not sinning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So this just adds the narrative of being angry is sinful when that's not true. Right. So, but making her feel rejected, reassuring her of your love, obviously you want to reassure of your yeah. love. That's not a bad thing to do, yeah. right? But the emphasis here is this is scripture completely used out of context. 
All right. And one so more. the last the last one that we wrote down doesn't mean it's the last one that that is right. just our last example. Uh, a husband. Oh, sorry. Same context. So this is just a, a random sentence um, on the side of, of the chapter. And so Egrich's words are a, a husband wants to be seen as one. And then the citation begins who manages his own household well and citation. And apparently that's what first Timothy three, four is about is a woman making her husband feel like he's a good spiritual leader. Is that right, Marco? That's what first Timothy is about. Yeah. First Timothy three, four reads, uh, he must manage his own household. Well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So, um, first Timothy three is a text where, God through the apostle Paul is addressing the characteristics or character qualities of overseers or pastors. Now that's not to say that you can skip over first Timothy three, because you're not a pastor, because if you're, if you're uh, married, then as a man, you are the spiritual leader of your home. Um, even if you're not married, like it's not to say that pastors and husbands are the only ones who should be, for example, hospitable. Like these are all character qualities that Christians ought to pursue and grow in and be sanctified in. Um, and so anyway, going to verse four, in verse four, he's he's addressing, again, the character qualities of an overseer. And when he says that he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, what Paul is talking about is that he leads from a place of biblical conviction, right? Uh, in spite of his wife telling him uh, that he's doing a good job or not doing a good job. In other words, this is his role. This is his call. This is an area that he is to cultivate. This is an area of conviction and therefore how he leads, um, how he serves and how he loves is because of what God has done for him in Christ first. Hope that answers the question. Oh, I think it did. So, (laughs) so what you're saying is that if we're commanded to do something in scripture, we shouldn't be pointing fingers and saying, well, I could, if it wasn't for this person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's this other person's responsibility for me to be able to be obedient. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not to say that it's not going to create rub, but if we're looking at, and so you're going to have to address that. That's, that's part of, I think, sanctification, but apart from all of that stuff, apart from all of that stuff, it's also like, Hey, you are called to do this, even in spite of the lack of response that you get. Yeah. And so it almost sounds like a manly thing would be taking care of your responsibilities, regardless of if you're receiving praise for it. Yes. Praise is nice, of course. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Hey, if your wife is like, hey, I see you doing this and you're crushing it. I just want you to know that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great thing to say. So it's, it's a nice thing to feel. But um, yeah, this is one of those ones where I'm, I'm talking about putting far too much responsibility on the wife, mm-hmm. because clearly the passage is a command to the man to do these things, mm-hmm. not to the wife to make him feel as if he's doing these things. It's wild. Yeah, dude. Wild. <clears throat> because I think like um, it's the author of Hebrews. He is he's writing to the church, but he has a word for the church on overseers as an example. 
And he says that they will give an account for the souls that they were entrusted with. And nowhere in that text is he talking about, hey, they're going to get a pat on the back for, for helping Jesus out. No, they will give an account for the souls that they were entrusted with. And so even if I remove pastoral ministry uh, and it's just me, my wife, my wife, my family, like I'm going to give an account for the responsibility that I have for, for my family. That's a good thing for men to know. Yeah. And that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, man, just because I'm justified in Christ doesn't alleviate me of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on scripture misuse? This yeah. is the last text that we had. Uh, any kind of general thoughts or overview or anything like that? Yeah. I, the, man, the thing that I would, I would just say is, um, again, this is why it's, knowledge of, 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 of your Bible is incredibly vital. Mm-hmm. And when we go to study our script, or when we go to study scripture, we need to know the difference. And these are like geeky terms, but we, we need to know the difference between eisegesis and exegesis. And eisegesis is when um, teachers, authors, individuals, eisegesis is when they, is when a piece of scripture is isolated so that it would fit a certain agenda but is, um, but its context has been removed or plays little value. Yeah. And so that's really popular with, I mean, I know several pastors and teachers who eisegete scripture and, and here's the thing though, um, much like even this book, when, uh, pastors, teachers, individuals, preachers, whoever eisegete scripture you can still say some really, really good things, even some truthful things um, in the context of your study, sermon, teaching session, whatever it is that you're doing. Like you can still say some really good things when you eisegete scripture. But the issue is that the context has been removed. And so you're saying things about a certain scripture that aren't actually taking place. And that's really dangerous because it leads people astray. It leads them to believe that it's one of the reasons I think many people approach scripture and specifically the gospel message as a self-help message. It's, it's been eisegeted. Yeah. I think we need to approach scripture um, exegetically. So now we're talking about exegesis. Exegesis is when we are extracting as much and distilling uh, whatever scripture we're in and we're pulling out as much as we can. And we're referencing everything from, uh, the context of the book that that piece of scripture is in the context of the chapter, what's going on, what's happening. We are using other scriptures to interpret what that one piece of scripture is saying so that we have a full picture of what's going on so that we would in fact, know. Is there application to this? In other words, are there things I ought to do or is there, or is there simply implication in that I need to sit and believe? And um, again, I think a lot of times, and I've I've said this even in my congregation, I think a lot of times people are just looking for the, give me the list of things that I need to do. And the truth is that sometimes scripture leads us to a place of implication where what you need to do is simply receive grace. There's, there's not anything else for you to do. Yeah. Um, And so I think that that is the significance and the importance of exegesis compared to eisegesis. Yes. One other piece that I wanted to add on eisegesis. Yeah. yeah. That's how cults start. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's dangerous. 
You don't want to be in a cult. Yeah. Not a, not a good thing. So, <laughs> you don't want to be in a cult. <laughs> cults aren't great, bro. Not good. So just I just want to say that explicitly. Cults are not good. <laughs> so making it clear. Sending clear messages. Nice. To be received clearly. So for you, that's for you. Yeah. I just wanted you to know. So looking out for you, man. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So so we've looked at some some misuses misuses of scripture now let's look at some psychological concerns that you have uh centered around around this book so you, you've listed a, a couple and so man why don't why don't you just kind of walk us through um not only what your concerns are but but why it's important to get it right and i feel like that's an easy question to just answer but yeah, why it's important to get it right. And therefore, how did that lead you to some of the concerns that you have psychologically? Okay. Uh, well, let's lay them out first and then we'll talk about why uh, why it's important to get it right. Um, so one of the first things that I have here is something specifically that he says is that men sink into emotional distress. It, so he's, he's making it sound as if women are always comfortable under emotional distress and men are the ones that get overwhelmed if they're in emotional distress. That's straight up untrue. <laughs> men and women sink under emotional distress and respond in different ways. Yeah. But those ways are not based on that. Those ways have nothing to do with gender. Those ways are based on ways that we experience loving relationships when we grow up, ways that we experience loving relationships in adulthood, traumas that we could have experienced just a multitude of life experience mm -hmm. is where this stuff comes from. It has nothing to do with if you're a male or a female. Mm -hmm. That being said, socialization is a factor as well. Right. And so we're constantly being told what it is to be a man. And so a predominant view, especially in American culture is that men aren't emotional and that they need to just suck it up if they're feeling their emotions. Mm -hmm. I think because of that, there is research that shows from John Gottman, an American researcher, that men tend to be the ones that end up shutting down. Mm. Um, but women still do it. Mm. And but backing up to the overall point, shutting down is one way to respond to emotional distress. Getting amped up or hypercritical, um, you know, these pursuing behaviors that I was talking about earlier, those come out of feeling emotional distress. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways that he uh, mischaracterizes research in general um, about how people respond, mm -hmm. but, but also using just, you know, American culture to, right. to look at this through. Yeah. Um, the reason why I think that's particularly unhelpful is it makes it sound as if one of them is doing it right and one of them is doing it wrong. Which is the initial concern that you had. Like that's what self-help books tend to in marriage and relationships tend to kind of lean towards one person is doing this right. The other person is doing this wrong. Right. Right. And, um, my wife's coming at, Oh, that's fine. Hey, Rebecca, <laughs> she's leaving. Um, she's going to go, her mom just picked her up to go see Seth compete. I'm going to nice. meet them over there. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, continue. Um, yeah. So how I think that ends up playing out, is that a lot of times men are intimidated by marriage therapy because there's so many of these books that tell them that what they're doing is wrong and they're the problem. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then they expect to go into marriage therapy and be told that 
they need to stop doing these things and they'll have a better marriage. It's right. really intimidating. Yeah. Because the other thing is uh, we respond the way that we respond because that's how, what we know how to do. Right. 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 And based on conversations that we've had, we don't fall into this category. Mm-hmm. We're, we yeah. respond to the stress in ways that he would describe women as falling into the stress. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, we pursue it. We want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. But so, um, the other thing is I see this coming out where men have actually had experiences where they've gone to marriage counseling and they have been told that if they would stop shutting down, that their marriage would be better. And that's just untrue. Right. <laughs> it's a strategy that's being used. That's as ineffective as pursuing too intensely. Wow. So it's, it's not that just one partner needs to change. It's that both partners impact each other. Mm-hmm. When one shuts down, the other one naturally pursues more intensely. So that's good. Yeah. The more that you pursue, the more the other person shuts down. Right. Right. So, but that's a natural process that happens. Would that be it's, the oh, definition of stonewalling? Stonewalling, shutting down. Yeah. That's, a, that's a way to use it. Yeah. Um, and so stonewalling, that's one of our other, other points is that stonewalling is not an active decision. Stonewalling is a physiological process, mm. which is interesting in the book because he explains that part well, that it's a physiological response. I, I think what he doesn't understand is that that means that it's not something that you can just decide not to do. Right. Right. It's not an active decision that's being made of, well, I'm just going to like shut it down. Right. It's your body responds in that way. And so you can tell someone all you want, Hey, just don't do this. And a lot of times they know that, but they don't like, they don't know how to not do that. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's a lot of what I do in, in therapy is we work on those things in the moment because there's right. some, there's like some deep work that needs to be done for that to be able to change. Right. That is not going to be impacted by a book telling you not to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so one of the, one of the concerns, additional concerns that you have, you may have already touched on this, but I was curious, could you expand on the two acronyms that he uses couple for men and chairs for women. Yeah. Um, let's do that briefly because okay. is that like um, one of those we could talk about it forever? Well, we just have so much yeah. written down that I was like, I think if we get into the weeds of, of those individual acronyms that, okay. that might take too much time. Cool. Um, but so he uses these two acronyms couple is what he says is how to spell love to your wife is how and to so, what? how to spell love to your wife is this acronym couple. Right. which C stands for closeness. O stands for openness. U stands for understanding. P stands for peacemaking. L stands for loyalty. And E stands for esteem. And so each of those has an individual chapter oh. where he explains um, his, his thought process behind that. Uh, how to spell respect to your husband is chairs. C stands for conquest. H stands for hierarchy. A stands for authority, I stands for insight, R stands for relationship, and S stands for sexuality. All right. So that's where we get into, if you do these things, you'll have a better relationship. Right. These are the things that a man needs to do. These are the things that a woman needs to do. It'll make your partner feel loved. Dang. What happens every single time in marriage therapy is if you give people a list to do, one, one partner is more likely to do it than the other. Right. And when the other partner doesn't do it, it 
adds to the idea that this person doesn't care about me because they're not doing these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They have this list that they're supposed to do. They're not uh, showing their level of commitment to me. Mm. They're not showing that they're loyal to me. Mm. Um, She's not engaged with my level of sexual desire. Right. But here's the thing is that when you have an insecure relationship where we have what, what we would call insecure attachment, uh, which a lot of people do. I myself do. Shelb and I have stuff that, that we work on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is not an abnormal thing, okay? This is a large majority of the population yeah. has these strategies that they use because of uh, experiences that they've, they've had growing up. Right. Um, and we could get into some of the research on that, but that would probably get us in the weeds again. Right. Uh, but I just say that to normalize it, that if you have insecure attachment, that doesn't mean that there's some pathological issue with you. It mm-hmm. just means that there's certain ways that you respond to distress. Right. So that's not unusual at all. Um, and so when we have those things, there's there's no amount of doing that's going to going to cure that. Right. So when he's talking about sex and saying, if a woman just gives herself over to her husband, whenever he asks, that'll make the relationship better. Will frequent sex improve the health of the relationship and the satisfaction of the relationship? Sure. In some ways. But if there's emotional issues about, I don't feel loved enough. Right. No, no amount of sex, no variation of sex, no like complexity of, of, you know, positions that are used or anything like that. None of that is going to solve that emotional issue. And so it's just like this endless list of constantly doing these things that are not going to address that component of the insecure attachment that the person is dealing with. On the other hand, what we see with healthy couples is that when people do have that secure connection and the relationship, they know that their partner is there for them and that they care about them and that their intent isn't malicious. Maybe that's been created mm-hmm. in their relationship. Maybe that was fostered at a very young age right. in the relationship with their caregivers. Right. But when it's there, then when there's a lack of sexual uh, um, engagement or anything like that, it doesn't signify this is a problem with our relationship. If they had more sex with me, then I would feel better about it. Right. 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 It just shows, oh man, my needs aren't being met here, but I have the trust in this relationship that I can communicate that clearly and they can receive what I'm saying without yeah. feeling criticized. Right. Because that's the other thing is in these insecure relationships, when you communicate your needs, it can just be seen as demanding. You're not doing enough for me. If you did this, you would be a better spouse. Right. Right. Which doesn't lead people into vulnerability and trying to actually make change. It leads them to defensiveness because they're like, man, I'm doing everything I can to show you how much I love you. Right. To know that I'm not meeting these needs makes me really sad because I care about you. Yeah. Right. So that's sort of an overview. He goes into a lot of detail about that. One of the things that I did want to point out on that, though, is that's where the research completely disappears when it comes to um, the scientific side. So he does a lot of Gottman citations to set stuff up. Yeah. Uh, But man, when he gets into the practical stuff, it's like he just kind of made it up. Right. He even says at one point, 
um, and this is one of the other things I wanted to touch on too, is at the end of each chapter, he gives a literal list of this is how you can make your wife uh, for the closeness chapter, for example. It says your wife feels close to you when, and it gives a list. Um, same thing with the, the husband yeah. chapters. Your, your husband feels like you respect his authority when you do these things. All right. Wow. And he literally says, these are suggestions for my wife and her friends at one point. And so it's like, this isn't really based on anything other than his personal experience. Right, right. And so, I mean, you can get some helpful ideas with that, but that sure. goes back to the overall thing of when it's distressed couples, that's not helpful. It right. just adds to things to be upset about each other, right? upset with each other for. Um, but if you're in a, in a relatively good place, you can look at that and say, well, no, that wouldn't really be helpful for me. Right. Um, right. Or, or you have the ability to sit and chat with each other about it. Hey, do any of these things resonate with you? Yeah, I would actually really like if you did this. Right. Um, but when you're distressed, you're not doing that or it spirals into conflict and it just adds to, man, we're so broken. Even this great marriage book can't help us. Yeah. I was thinking that because it's something I've already said, you've, you've, you've touched on it as well. Like if I primarily look at this, if I look at this as a book from a Christian, who's also a doctor, uh, a psychologist, um, no, 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 no. I want to clarify. He's not a psychologist. That's oh, one of the other things that bothers me. Oh, okay. So his, his doctorate is in like uh, child development. That okay, okay. So he's he, he whatever man. He's got his doctorate. So um, so what I mean by that is this being under the Christian living section can be approached and taken as gospel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like here are the list. Here is the list of things that you ought to do. Here are the list of things that I ought to do. And I think you add unhealthy marriages or distressed couples and they approach um, a book like this that's under Christian living and things aren't working and only more distress continues to increase. Um, What that's going to do is shape how they view God, shape how they view whether they know it or not, the gospel, because this is under Christian living. Therefore, this ought to be what helps me in my marriage. And it's not something is yeah. wrong with my spouse. Something is wrong with my faith. Right. Yeah. You know? And the way that he sprinkles scripture throughout out of context, exactly. It adds to that message, right? It's like, yeah. Oh man, this is from the Bible. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. It's take. I mean, and you can do that with anything. Yeah. You can do that with literally anything. I mean, any yeah. like fan base of anything you can, yeah. uh, well, I forget the show we were talking about. And uh, you watch like one episode and you try to explain the plot. And I was like, there's pieces of that that are true, but that's wildly <laughs> incorrect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And so we can do that with anything. But it's it's horrifying when it happens with the Bible. Because it's yeah. like, man, especially if you have some sense of appropriate understanding of what the Bible is. Of, yeah. This is God's word. This is authoritative. And I'm missing it. Yeah. And he's telling me I'm supposed to do these things. Yeah. And I can't do it. You know, it, it reminds me of... It, the context, which is important, is a little different, but it reminds me of what Paul tells the Galatians in chapter three. He opens up by saying, you, you foolish Galatians, who, who has bewitched you? And in, in the first few verses of chapter three, Paul appeals to their conversion experience. And he challenges them with rhetorical questions by asking them, how did they come to know Jesus? Was it by faith or was it through works? And so the issue in the churches of Galatia is that, there are these false teachers promoting uh, <clears throat> promoting a false gospel that said 
that if they truly want to be righteous, if they truly want to be holy, if they truly want to belong to God, yes, it is through faith, but also works specifically uh, uh, holding to the Mosaic law and even more specific to circumcision. And so, so Paul is, is angry in chapter three, and essentially he's asking them, like, you came to know Jesus by faith. Why would you take your eyes off of Jesus and try to grow by works? The same way in which you came to the faith is the same way in which you are sanctified in the faith. And the reason I say it's kind of similar is because what Paul is driving at is for them to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. And what they have done is that they've taken their eyes off of Jesus and gone to something that sounds similar, that is religious in nature. And in doing so, they've, they are losing sight of the foundation of their faith. And so I wonder if it would be similar in the sense of marriage books or books like these, where my wife and I would say that we are Christians, but rather than engaging what scripture has to teach about me what scripture has to say about who God is and who I am as an individual and what I need to work on and the condition of my heart, instead of doing that, I now approach self-help books or I now approach books on, on marriage. I, I inevitably take my eyes off of Jesus so that this area of my life would hopefully improve and do something, something else would happen. And, and as we've talked about, the more work I put toward that, the more exhausted I become. Yeah. 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 And I think it depends on, uh, I mean, just where your heart's at, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's plenty to be gained from, and and there's plenty of really good, like theologically based marriage books that are helpful. And like we said, you you know, sometimes you can get helpful stuff from books that aren't good also, Yeah, Yeah. but it's like, where's, where's your hope coming from ultimately, you know? So if it's like this marriage is going to save my book or this, uh, book is going to save my marriage, excuse me, um, is where we're at. That's a really dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's where we need to check our idols of like, what am I really expecting from these things that I'm consuming yeah. Yeah. versus ultimately healing is going to come through the gospel. And I can know that and believe that and live that out. And at the same time, still, you know, get beneficial things from, from outside resources. Yeah. yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, man, as we, as we wrap this up, as, as we've brought forth or you've led us through some concerns with love and respect, and I know we didn't touch everything. What would be some, some books that we would recommend that, uh, couples who are moving towards marriage, couples in marriage, couples in premarital, like what would be some, some sources that we would recommend, um, uh, for, for, for couples? Uh, so there's a handful that I recommend to almost everybody. Mm. And so theologically, the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller. Dude, that's my sound. jam. Yes. That's what I use in so premarital. Good. Premarital so and like, like early, like, uh, what is it? Um, recently married couples, man, mm-hmm. the meaning of marriage is my jam. I use that it's so good. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll have to review that at one point too, because yeah. I feel like there's a lot that could be said about that. Mm-hmm. Sacred marriage by Gary Thomas is also really good. Um, he has a book for um, like dating couples uh, called the sacred search that I think is a, a really helpful, like pre-marriage book um, that's gospel centric. 
um, and has some, some really important, difficult questions in mm-hmm. there. Um, and then when it comes to like scientifically based work, man, I'm all like read original sources. So yeah. this dude keeps talking about Gottman, read Gottman. Yeah. The seven principles of making marriage work is like 180 pages and it's packed with helpful, practical information. Mm, nice. But secular books aren't, you know, outside of the possibility of adding to the things that you're not doing that make yeah. you feel bad about your relationship. Yeah. And so I would say, you know, if you are consuming something like that and that's all it does is adds to the frustrations and difficulties that you're having, then actually go to counseling. Right. Um, because like that's going to address the emotional aspect. Whereas all you're doing, one of the points that we didn't really get to is that all the self-help information is stored in the part of your brain that goes offline when you're in emotional distress. Mm. So when you're feeling overwhelmed, you're not thinking about doing all these things. That's not the part of your brain that's in use. Right. Right. And so that it almost makes some of this stuff useless in some ways. Wow. Um, and then there's also created for connection, which would be, uh, excuse me, created for connection, which is written by Sue Johnson. Uh, and also Kenny Sandifer co-wrote that with her. Mm-hmm. That is based on, uh, well, I would say that it's a Christian version of a secular book called hold me tight okay. by, by Sue Johnson. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's so, so good. It's yeah. so good. Um, uh, and it really helps you understand, what's happening in the relationship that takes you off course. Yeah. Uh, I, I read creative for connection to be honest. I wasn't like blown away theologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like it's really super deep um, when it comes to the theological aspect. So I personally, I kind of think whichever one you can get cheaper, just get that one. <laughs> right. Right. But, but if you want to, re- there is like an additional chapter called uh, your bond with God. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of the, the added aspect of creative yeah. for connection. And then there's scripture used throughout that I think is used appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a difference, but you know, if you're looking for the theological stuff, I just feel like go hard or go home, you know, yeah, man. Tim, Tim Keller, Gary Thomas, dude. Yeah. That theology marriage theologians. Is, a, is a great book. Yeah. Highly recommended. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, that's our, our review for, for love and respect, man. I think that was great. I think we spoke, spoke a lot on it. Obviously, we could keep going because you're very passionate about this topic. Dude, I have, I have so much more to say, but we don't want to make it <laughs> Maybe we'll long. revisit it. Um, but, uh, man, one of the things that you did say, like, hey, you know, sometimes couples can, can be receiving, like, even wise counsel, and maybe they've even tried some of these other books, whether it's, whether it's the meaning of marriage or love and respect, and they're still experiencing some... Uh, issues and concerns in the, in their marriage. And you mentioned, you know, at that point, it, it is good to reach out and get help. And so, um, which would be a really good plug for Fowler family therapy, right? Did I get it right? You did. Yeah. I almost cut you off, but I was like, I'm going to keep hope that he's going to get this right. No, I got it right, man. I got it right. I could do it. I don't anyway. know my church's name now. What church do I go to? Mark? City view. Hey, hey, got it. I mean, I was there three <laughs> weeks ago, so I, I better remember. <laughs> um, okay, so man, if people wanted to, if people wanted a little bit more information, maybe even get like, I guess, a consulting session, or even like reach out for help. How do they find you? FowlerFamilyTherapy.com. Nice. Uh, and just on the front page there, there's a contact me section, um, and yeah, you can 
contact me to set up an appointment or, um, you know, if you're looking for specific resources, I never have a problem making recommendations there also. Nice. Cool, man. Well, dude, thanks for sharing your thoughts on love and respect. And yeah, the last final thought would be, man, I think for whatever kind of book Christians are going to approach outside of scripture, man, Christians must, must use discernment and in using discernment that is implying that we are first finding ourselves in God's word. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week. This is the end of season one. If you are a new listener, make sure that you catch up on previous episodes and then we will see you guys on the flip side. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to the Reforming Lounge podcast. Follow us on social media at the Reforming Lounge on Instagram. If you have questions we want to hear from you, visit the reforminglounge.com. Thank you.